Hi, welcome to Sign of the Crime. Sorry, I said that so loud. <laughs> you have, it's been you guys, a harrowing hour. For fuck's sake, you guys have no idea. We have been trying to figure out how the ups and downs, the ins and outs to record this goddamn podcast for the last hour. <laughs> we're like praying that Quintana's kids don't come home. I'm visiting her right now. And we're like, we, we specifically figured out a way to get her friend to babysit her kids so that we could do this. And I was like, oh, it'll be so great because we're in the same place at the same time. So we won't have to use the internet. It'll be easy. It was by far the most difficult thing I've ever experienced in my life. And the universe is like, nope, sorry about that. We're still having to record on the fucking internet. She's upstairs. I'm in the fucking dining room down here. (laughs) It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Oh my God. I like yelled anyway. Side of the crime. (laughs) I've never said so many curse words. Wow. (laughs) And I'm a parent. So that's saying something. I just want to say right now that Uranus opposed the moon yesterday, the new moon. Today is the fifth. Yesterday was the new moon. Uranus is just is fucking with my technology so bad. I spent all day your phone thing. I spent all day at Verizon. I spent three hours on the phone with them yesterday. I mean, Schmerizen, um, (laughs) (laughs) not to be confused with a similar sounding. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Anyway, I just, I hate Uranus right now. I'm so mad. Uh, hopefully this is what we're saying is we're both glad it's Friday. We're going to get to the end of this and listen to it. And like, nothing's going to be recorded. We're like, okay, cool. Great. I will literally kick something. Yeah. But by the way, your mic sounds so much better than the one you had before. Sounds great. Yeah. That's because this one costs real money. Yeah. And that's because I paid for it. I know. Thank you. It's my birthday birthday. present. Yeah. Happy birthday. It was a microphone for our podcast. It's like not romantic (laughs) at all. Yeah. But anything that allows me to speak louder you know? Yeah, exactly. That's a win. That's right. Okay. I'm feeling better. We're doing it. We're making it happen. We're going to do it. This episode is so insane. We're talking about Kurt Cobain and the, please, please just buckle up. It's going to be a long ride. Buckle the fuck up. I hope you really want to know about Kurt Cobain because we both, we both got to the end of the goods and we were like, I was like, (laughs) mine's 10 pages. And she was like, so's mine. I was like, Whoa, fuck. (laughs) Okay. Uh Oh, Okay. Remy suggested this one. And I was like, are you sure? No, like, it's a great su- story. You suggested this one. Mm, no, you suggested Kurt Cobain. You were like, I definitely want to do Kurt Cobain. I'm like, okay. I mean, I've read all the books, so That's- I can, but okay. We're going to just let that go. But actually you did. And you don't remember because you're a mom and you're tired all the time. And that's fine. I mean, that is 100% possible. But I thought you did. I sent no. you a list and I don't think Kurt Cobain was on it. Um, no, Mm-mm. no, because I actually didn't know there was all this controversy. You knew it. You have, you literally yeah. have like three, two inch wide paperbacks about the, the, the circum- mysterious circumstances surrounding his death. So girl, I you. love a hot mess. Yeah. She this is it. a hot mess. Okay. Why don't you So start? let's get into it. Yeah, let's go. Okay. So, um, first of all, she's right. I do have several books. Um, the most informative ones are by Max Wallace and Ian Halperin. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. And that's my God given right. Uh, those are called <laughs> love and death and who killed Kurt Cobain. And, um, they are extremely informative and I highly recommend them. <laughs> so, and then as far as like articles go, there's the Lynn Hirschberg one from vanity fair. That's got a lot of good stuff. And basically if you Google, Google Kurt Cobain, every, like there's rolling stone articles, there's, 
just anything that comes up in the first three pages, I read it and you can consider it a source. Um, okay. So Kirk Cobain, born February 20th, 1976. He's a Pisces mm-hmm. he sure uh, is. in Aberdeen. What was that? He is. He is. Yeah, he is. We're going to get into that, but yeah, keep going. Aberdeen, Washington to waitress, Wendy and his mechanic father, Donald, uh, his early life was what you could call subpar at best. Uh, well, I mean, okay. So his early, early life, he was actually pretty happy. His parents were not exactly poverty stricken, but money was pretty tight and this causes tension in a marriage as I can attest to. Um, he has an imaginary friend named Bada. Uh, he's pretty insistent about, which I think gives pretty good insight into his adult character. Uh, drawing was an early passion of his and he was supposedly pretty good. Uh, so I think it's fair to say he was always a creative spirit. He was actually described as like almost manically happy as a child. And then his parents got divorced in 1975. And that's when everything really started to go down the shitter in a major way. I think it's fair to say he did not take the divorce well. So he starts out with his mom, but she had a penchant for abusers, physical, but also emotional work out. And he shipped off to his dad, who I guess early on promised his son he wouldn't remarry and then just did a 180 and promptly did. And uh, his new wife, from what I read, was actually pretty good to Kirk and and was trying to be a present parent for him. Um, But Kurt wasn't having it. Um, He did not want this. And he felt that his dad was bending over backwards to be a better father to her kids. She came with two kids. He didn't care for that, but not really putting in the work to be a good father to him. Um, Supposedly, Donald had very different standards for Kurt than he did for his stepkids, which, you know, it's going to build resentment. It's very frustrating. So his resentment's growing. His dad really just wanted him to be like, quote, unquote, normal. And that was not in the cards for Kurt Cobain. Uh, the burgeoning voice of Gen X. Um, so not into that. Uh, Ian Halpern actually describes the scene where Kurt joins a, the wrestling team, I believe in high school, and he's pretty good. And his dad loves that super into it, going to all the matches. And then at a really important meet while his dad is there and watching Kurt purposely through the match, uh, like staring at like just fucking dead eyeing his dad the whole time. Um <gasps> to disappoint him and his father knew it. And after that, their relationship was kind of permanently strained. <laughs> wow. Over that. So, but I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. Just, I mean, that's to me, if I'm a parent, that's an opportunity to sit down with my child and be like, Hey, like we really need to work on this and communicate not to be like, well then fuck you. Yeah, absolutely. Son. But it was the seventies and okay. they didn't do that. Okay. So, um, okay. it was an opportunity to ostracize and isolate him and they took it. They're like, yes, please. Yeah. They're like, nope, fuck this kid. Um, So by 15, he's being shuffled back and forth between his mom and his dad. And neither of them are really able to contain or control him. And he's beginning to act out in more egregious ways. So there are some minor brushes with the law. And at one point he's arrested. (laughs) He's arrested for tagging God is gay and homosexual sex rules uh, near a bank in Aberdeen. Uh, This is apparently a favorite phrase of his to tag, which is just precious in my opinion um so he's experimenting with drugs mostly pot and alcohol and he's experimenting with music he gets his first guitar from an uncle on his 14th birthday and supposedly reportedly he's only interested in playing led zeppelin songs which absolutely checks out for teenage boys like side note i don't know what it is about led zeppelin but that can't that band casts a fucking spell on teenage boys i don't know if i've discussed this I'm with sorry you, like- i love led zeppelin 
mm, okay, that's fine. I don't. So I just remember, I like have traumatic flashbacks of sitting in like dudes garages with Aaron, my BFF for all time. And like our prime hot years, like prime hot years, just waiting for these fucking dudes to notice us. And they didn't. And it's extremely embarrassing because these dudes were not Kurt Cobain. <laughs> you mean because they were perfect. listening to, to Led Zeppelin? Yeah. They're just like, like stoned and listening to Led Zeppelin and we're like hot just sitting there being like you could put your tongue down our throats or something like that and instead no um they didn't do that they wanted to like have us there but they didn't want to pay any attention to us and that was rude um rude. that's how I feel about that yeah so yeah so anyway I digress so uh at 16 he discovers punk music and that that whole musical style just resonates with him He's pretty impressionable at this age. He's living hand to mouth, kind of relying on the kindness of strangers for the most part. He lived with friends. There's some local Aberdeen lore that states he lived under a bridge for a while, um, although it's more likely that it was like maybe a night or two. Uh, supposedly, it's not really possible to sleep under that bridge. <laughs> they were like, uh, it's like a 45 degree angle. He just rolled into the fucking river. But anyway, um, it's, it's something that goes around the town. Um, he was definitely itinerant definitely no solid is that, home what does itinerant mean it means he didn't have a place he was kind of going from place to place okay. not not in one specific he was meandering he doesn't have a solid structure you know yeah that's not happening for him right now uh then he became born again when he was 17 while Shut staying with up his- no joke he didn't Whoa. like to talk about it weirdly enough yeah i don't like to uh, talk about it and i just found out mm-hmm. about it <laughs> So he's staying with an uber Christian friend's family and he attended church regularly at this time. Uh, But the the phrase, the the phase passed and he did seem pretty embarrassed about it later in his life. But it is through this connection that he meets Chris Novoselic. And I'm almost positive I'm pronouncing that correctly. But if I'm not, feel free to yell at me about it later. Um, Which I think just proves that God moves in mysterious ways. So he hooks up with Chris Novoselic, who later becomes one of the founding members of Nirvana. Anyway, uh, so Kurt's just absolutely desperate of finding a place at this point in time. And it's it's not happening. He just he needs to find somewhere he fits in. He's not finding it. Uh, so he's dropped out of high school by now. And bendito, he spends most of his time reading poetry in the local library. Oh, my God. Which same. Severely, painfully on brand. Uh, and he begins developing these mysterious stomach pains as a teenager, which would plague him almost until the end of his life. And that we'll circle back to that because there's that's going to come up later. So in 1987, he leaves Aberdeen and he settles in Olympia, forming Nirvana with Chris. He's still drawing, still working odd jobs to support his music dreams, but his stomach pains have reportedly become pretty unbearable. And consequently, he begins using heroin. Now, to be clear, at this juncture, he's using it mostly for pain management. The sources that I read were adamant that he's not at this point. At this point, it's not a habit or an addiction, but it is present in his life. So Nirvana puts out their first album called Bleach to mostly lukewarm reviews, but he did catch the attention of some very influential music critics, including Everett True, uh, a British music critic for Melody Maker magazine and who some call the godfather of grunge. Hmm. He loves Bleach and he gives his stamp of approval on Kurt, which is an enormous boon to his career. Um, the second album, Nevermind, smashes through the charts in 91. And this is where we start to see Courtney Love. Mm. So here's a few things about Courtney Love. Dish it. Okay. In almost everything I read, 
I noticed that the only people who weren't afraid to say anything critical of Courtney Love were people who were some combination of rich, famous, powerful, or influential. Anyone who didn't have this kind of combo going on in their letterhead was most often quoted as preferring to remain anonymous or absolutely refusing to comment at all for fear of retribution. So let's start with that. What the fuck? And I'm not going to give you a lot of back. She's like a Harvey Weinstein. (laughs) Well, like one person described her as a psycho hose beast. And he said, and that's on a good day. Hose beast, like like H-O-E-S or H-O-S-E? You know, this was a phrase that was popularized in the 90s. And I feel like it was H-O-S-E, which never made a goddamn lick of sense to me. But I do remember it being like a devastating burn, you know, like Like you're a hose beast. Is it like an anteater or an elephant, like a hose? I mean, th- these are fair questions that I don't have answers for. Okay. I but like I, I just remember like psycho host beast being a thing that people said about crazy women back okay. in the day. In 91, I was and, 10. So I missed that. Yeah. Okay. Really? Because I feel like it was still prevalent when I was in high school in like 92, 93, 94. I don't know. Maybe I mean, I don't know. I don't know. By, by 1994, by the time I showed up, I was like, I have braces. What? Hey. <laughs> here's my socks that match my sweater <laughs> yeah. and my lipstick and my nail polish because it's the 90s Yay! <laughs> we had very different high school careers um no, okay so I'm not going to give a lot of background on Courtney we don't have time frankly uh and also most of what I read was in the context of Kurt's life and his death and it's not that I doubt the veracity of what I read but I I think there's something to be said for personal bias so I'm just going to give you the severely edited version of Courtney's life like before she met Kurt. So she's the daughter of the original manager of the Grateful Dead back when they were known as the Warlocks. Yeah. You, when you told me that, I was like, holy shit, I had no idea. Yeah. Like she kind of gives off this vibe, like, oh, you know, I came from nothing. Not true. She's also vibe of like, I was raised in a gutter. Yeah. No, because her mother was the heiress to the Bausch and Loam fortune. Oh yeah. Yeah. Not a gutter. If not it a was, gutter, it was a dude. gold line, she had a trust fund, the whole shebang. Wow. So she's not a rags to riches story. Um, she had a, she had a troubled childhood. Her childhood makes Kurt Cobain's look really fucking good. Um, so she has a strained relationship with both her parents. Her mother got custody in the divorce, but she found Courtney a little too hard to handle. So she basically pawned her off on whoever would take her while she started a sheep farm in New Zealand. It was a seven. Um, <laughs> and then when Courtney eventually wore out her collective welcome wherever she was sent by stealing or lying she found herself in a reform school called hillcrest this is like prepubescence 11 12 and then eventually she's released to her father's custody and that was probably the most stable period in her childhood but of course it did not last uh by 16 it is reported that she willingly entered the sex slave trade in japan where she learned how to strip and this is a skill that she put to good use in her teens and her 20s working as a stripper from la to alaska I'm pretty sure she worked at Jumbo's Clown Room, um, mm. which if you're from LA, you know what I'm talking everyone about. Knows. Like, everyone yeah, knows. Everyone everyone goes. Yeah, like everyone has been to Jumbo's Clown Room to say that you've gone there, but like you don't want to touch anything when you're inside. Um, so she dabbled in acting. She had a very, she had a few very intense relationships, including a marriage to punk rocker James Moreland, which like many of her relationships ended badly, although not as badly as her relationship with Kurt. He still, I mean, he lived. <laughs> um, one ended and finally, pretty badly. Just, <laughs> well, if you read his account of it, it's not great, but he's alive. So there's that. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So she decides she wants to be a rock star. So she creates Hole and they put out their first album, Pretty on the Inside in 1991, which actually received fairly universal critical acclaim. Um, and it's around this time, she, she'd met Kurt Cobain in 1990, but it's around this time that she begins to pay attention to up and coming grunge and rock musician Kurt Cobain, as opposed to like, you know, dude in a band just trying to get a venue. Uh, so they have known of each other for years. They ran in the same LA music circles, but the general acknowledgement is that Courtney picked her partners based on who had the most social cachet at the time, which in early 1991 was Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins. So that's who she was dating, but she had her eye on Kurt Cobain. I didn't know she dated Billy Corgan. Yeah, she did. And that, she and did. I remember actually like seeing him go off about her on some interview. Really? Oh yeah. He was like that. Really? Yeah. He, not a fan. Well, he would have, you know, better access to info about that than most. Um, maybe it's because I'm fairly certain she dumped him for Kurt Cobain. Um, yeah. So there's that. So she definitely noticed Kurt and he noticed her noticing him. They had what could delicately be described as a drug-fueled sex romance. I think that's probably closest to it. And it resulted in a quick and supposedly unexpected pregnancy. I wouldn't be surprised if she did that shit on purpose. Allegedly. But, um, allegedly. Um, again, I'm not saying she did. I'm just saying it wouldn't surprise me. Right. So they have an, an unorthodox Hawaiian wedding, in which the groom wore pajamas and the bride wore a dress that belonged to the late Francis Farmer, who was a troubled Hollywood icon who had possibly been lobotomized while committed to a mental institution against her will. So this is like, you know, and they say the romance is dead. Her. Right. Hmm. So at this point, the couple is basically on top of the world. Like he's arguably the most famous musician in the country, possibly the world. She is brokering a deal for her own successful grunge rock band. They are both young. They are rich. And by all accounts, in the early stages of their relationship, they are very much in love. But of course, this did not last. So Kurt's stomach pains uh, are agonizing right about now. And he's in full-fledged drug addiction, likely mostly aided and abetted by his new wife. Courtney is absolutely a drug user. And it's said uh, that she, like, she kind of used drugs as a way to reel him in and keep him um, sex too. But that, I don't, this are, if you read the books, you will read lots of accounts from people saying that Courtney knew how to get him to say yes using mm. pharmaceuticals. Mm. Um, but this is, this is in harmony with the world around her. I mean, she's a rock star. Um, and oh yeah so okay so she's a drug user harmony with the world around her probably wouldn't have talked about that it probably wouldn't have like okay so she's a drug user but it wouldn't have been as big a deal in terms of the way it was discussed if she hadn't fucked up so incredibly while granting an interview for vanity fair which she did uh fairly early in her marriage Lynn Hirschberg wrote a piece. Uh, I don't, if, have you read it? No. Highly recommend. Okay. So Courtney had really become so used to being able to control the narrative around her life that she didn't really mind her P's and Q's when talking to this interviewer. And she inadvertently revealed that she had done heroin while pregnant with daughter, Frances Bean. Ah, uh, nice. So, Classy. Yeah. Yeah. And not like super early in the pregnancy, like when she knew she was yeah. pregnant. She's like, just so, a little of this and a little of that. Heroin. She just didn't, you know, she didn't do her basic math is what it comes down to. <laughs> like, like, hey, we know that like nine minus six is 
six is three. So you were three <laughs> to four months pregnant when like, okay. So, um, so this, this interview is a disaster for love and Cobain. If you haven't read of it, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It, it paints love as just this shrewd kind of domineering, highly opportunity opportunistic fortune hunter and it it shows kurt i mean i read it and this is how it came off to me as sort of this ineffective unstable probable junkie so kurt and cobain were of course furious but more importantly they were in danger of losing their daughter who was born i believe two days before the article came out wait do you mean love and cobain you said francis okay i don't know oh i'm sorry yes you're right yes i fucked that one up yes uh, Courtney and oh I think I was like computer. all sides of Kurt the Kurt and the uh, every every dimension of him um yeah <laughs> no I meant Kurt and Courtney okay Kurt and Courtney uh, um, yes so Francis Bean is born and then two days later the article came out they knew it was coming they've been given Oof. a heads up Oof. um but yeah and I, I remember reading somewhere that like the um somehow some way her medical records were leaked and it was shown that she was on methadone prior to giving birth, which most likely means that she was addicted to heroin. And that was a way to, you know, keep her from going into withdrawals in the last stages of her pregnancy. But it also means that most likely Francis being born addicted, right. just the way it is. That's right. how that shit works. Um, all right. So Kurt was by all accounts, an absolutely doting father adored his daughter. So every effort was made to give him at least the appearance of, of sobriety at this time. He checks into Exodus, a rehab clinic, although reportedly it was more of a perfunctory experience kind of meant to appease the powers that be more than anything else. Um, but nevertheless, Kurt very much enjoyed being a father. And he, he tells the LA times in 93, I can't tell you how much my attitude has changed since we got Francis holding my baby is the best drug in the world. Now this is significant because there's a lot of talk after Kurt Kurt's death stating that he was, um, suicidal. So, and, and if you read his lyrics, you know, there have been a lot of interviews where he does sound that way. But post Francis Bean, there there are interviews where it sounds like he had he developed an attitude shift. Parenthood will change you. Okay, so there's some other good news around this too. Um, around this time, the gastrointestinal pain that had haunted Kurt for over a decade had been diagnosed as a pinched nerve. Oh, yeah, he had a mild gonna, case of scoliosis. I was gonna say maybe because literally one time I went to the ER because of gas. <laughs> <laughs> oh no did you really yeah I was yes, like I have problems too as a kid though yeah I remember I, I still do but it's almost always gas like I've learned if I can just put a heating pad on it and get some farts out I'll feel so much better gonna be okay gonna be okay I'm telling you with the kids if you do like the bicycle motion with your legs that worked for Jude and he had terrible colic and he would just, just fart all over me <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, you'll look silly, but it'll save you an ER. Hey bill. man, whatever works, whatever works, dude. Um, so he had, he had a really mild case of scoliosis as a child, but, uh, apparently it had pinched a nerve and no one had figured it out. And his pain had been handled with a simple prescription. I looked it up. I couldn't figure out, I couldn't find any evidence of what that simple prescription was. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it was Percodan, which is like, you know, not heroin, but not, not related to heroin so i don't know but um he's anyway he he's in better shape you know because another reason that people claimed he was incredibly suicidal was because this pain was just unmatched unrelenting um and it it was no longer a motivating factor for him so there's that so that's that's one thing the like 
parenthood, you know, bringing this beautiful child into his life and this never ending pain eliminated, there are those that say that suicide wasn't something that he was super focused on at this time period. Just putting that out there. Okay. Um, but despite the fact that he no longer has these terrible gastrointestinal pains, he continues to use drugs. There's a lot of conjecture about why that is, but well, there is no addicted. doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Addiction is, is no doubt part of it. Um, there are triggers for addiction and based on eyewitness accounts, Kurt and Courtney's marriage is at best on the rocks. Yeah. So that might trigger an addict into using. Uh, she, they, they have some pretty key differences. So she's much more interested in money than he is. And she forced him. Oh, this was rough. So she forces him. She basically says, you are the creative force behind Nirvana. And she forces him to renegotiate his royalties percentage so that he is now receiving, I believe a hundred percent of the royalties for the writing. He did all the writing, but prior to that, everything had been split in thirds. So he receives a hundred and, and, um, he, they, she insists that they make it retroactive to never mind. So the band was like, okay, we're willing to do that with the albums going forward. But Courtney Love insists that they go back and do it for all the royalties coming in for never mind, which mm-hmm. is a fuck ton a of fuck money. ton. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kind of get it. He was, I mean, he was the writer. There was, I don't remember what the other one was. Um, I know there was the other album. No, no, no. Like there's lyric writing and then there's something else they were receiving royalties for and they had it all, you know, 33%. And then with the, with the new, with the way everything had been changed with the new royalties percentage, he received 75 of the other. I mean, it's a, it's a bunch of money. She got her money, no doubt about that, but it, it absolutely changed the relationship of the members of the band. And it, you know, not very, it's, that's a very anti-grunge sentiment. Totally. Like it, it had, it smelled of selling out. Um, so that, that was a lot. Um, it definitely did not endear Courtney to Chris Novoselic and Dave Grohl, both of whom already privately referred to her as Yoko. So, you know, I was that's a say. source of tension. Yeah, that's problematic. And Kurt is showing evidence of just being straight up fucking tired. Uh, it had definitely been a whirlwind few years. He'd had pretty intense medical issues. He had a new marriage and a baby. He'd had problems with the law. Uh, ongoing drug issues, struggles with media representation. It's just a lot. Um, but despite that, he's telling reporters he was content with his life, telling Rolling Stones writer David Frick in January of 94, I've never been happier in my life. So this is a huge about face from a guy who built a career on apathetic misery. Right. Um, but there's plenty, plenty of evidence out there that Kurt was starting to settle into this new phase of his life. So then in March of 94, Kurt overdosed on roofies and champagne in Rome. Courtney was present and she, he was on tour. She brought 18 month old Francis Bean to visit her touring husband. And at some point in the middle of the night, she rolled over and discovered him gray and unresponsive with a note in his hand. There are some inconsistencies about exactly how this went down, but this is what we know for sure. So Courtney said in an interview, I believe the Rolling Stones one that she rolled over between three and four in the morning to discover her husband in a bad way, records show that she didn't call for an ambulance until almost 6 30. why we don't know when yeah when the ambulance did arrive a journalist took a now infamous picture of her joining the emts in the back of their rig in perfect makeup and dress no so she took the time yeah yeah oh lipstick God. hair the whole thing all done 
it's a little uh, weird given the circumstances. Uh, yeah. So Kurt's hospitalized. Weird. Yeah, it's a lot weird. <laughs> like, it's also for up. someone who is so media savvy, I don't know why she didn't think of that. Um, unless like, well, it's like her she, inability to like, like just can't. Well, also it sounds like narcissism. No, go right? ahead. Like narcissists, you know, they, they, it's not that they're like, it's that she did think of it, but narcissists can't see outside of that narcissistic sort of, um, obsession with themselves. Right. It's like, I can't see outside of this obsession that I have, this fixation that I have on how I look to me. others. <laughs> right. Like me. it's like the exact thing, like what you're talking about. I like, it's in, impossible that she didn't think about how she, how that would look. It's like, she obsessed on how that would look in this, you know, in this, uh, narcissistic way. Like I have to look perfect for when, you know, cameras show up the fucking ambulance for when cameras show up for my possibly dead husband, this won't yeah. look suspicious at yeah. all. Um, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Keep I don't going. know. It's just my Capricorn. My lizard brain is like, I don't want to be, <laughs> I don't want anyone to think I killed him. <laughs> I must look like shit. Like I, I mean, I just would. I don't know. Um, anyway, yeah, but you're not a she had to know she was going to get looked at. What was that? Yeah, I said I'm not a narcissist. narcissist. Yeah, depends on the day. Yeah, that's um, true. Let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> I have my moments. Uh, really sorry, Michael, my husband. Uh, he knows. Okay, so Kurt's hospitalized, and when he recovers, he flies back to Seattle. At that point, he tells Courtney and his managers that he's not going to honor his Lollapalooza booking, which makes Courtney absolutely furious. It's a oh lot of money. God. It's a lot of exposure, millions of dollars. Uh, and at this juncture, the, the incident in Rome is being referred to as just an overdose. And the capitalist infrastructure around Kurt is scared uh, for a lot of reasons, but not the least of which is Kurt is just money in the bank for them. So no matter what's going on, they don't want him to get the fuck out of town like for any reason that you know they're like what's happening what do you mean you don't want to play Lollapalooza um a week later Courtney calls the police and she claims that Kurt is suicidal and he's locked himself in the bedroom with a gun the police come Kurt tells the police that he did not threaten suicide and he had locked himself in the room to get away from his wife full stop <laughs> well <And> Courtney <laughs> admits the police that yeah it's just like don't want to be around that bitch um wow yeah. He, uh, Courtney admits that he didn't in fact threaten to kill himself and she had not seen a gun, but that she knew there were guns in the room. So she called the police for his own protection. So, uh, the talk around this is that it very much looks like Courtney is setting up, um, like mental instability, Kurt suicidal, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. So things are starting to spiral out of control and at the urging of Kurt's management an intervention is arranged, but Kurt supposedly found that whole thing pretty laughable since a decent percentage of those present were also known cr chronic drug users including courtney <laughs> so like eh, you know like they're like we really think you shouldn't do drugs and they're, he, you know he literally looked at them he's like you're fucking high so why should i listen to you so courtney does the only thing she can really do at this point to scare kurt and she drops the hammer by threatening to prevent him from seeing francis bean Ooh. and this breaks through kurt's disdain and he agrees to go back to the rehab center he entered in 92 in the wake of the vanity fair scandal and he goes but he doesn't seem to take it very seriously. Um, he just kind of seems like he's dotting the I's, crossing the T's, doing what he's got to do to get through this experience. He has a steady stream of visitors while he's there. And one of them expresses surprise at how good he looked in an interview later. 
quote, I was ready to see him look like shit and depressed, but he looked so fucking great. Take that for what it's worth. Wow. For what so it, on yeah. April 1st. Yeah. What could that? I don't know. Blame me. <laughs> He's, he's I don't like, know. Maybe he's like, I'm getting the fuck out of this marriage. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> oh, know. some alone time really did me great. <laughs> some really alone time. Feeling good about life again. We're like, yeah, just some scheduled meds and some alone time. Honestly, I get it. If someone was like, could we put you in a mental institution for a week? I'm like, let me be clear. I get to be by myself and you're just going to bring me meds and I can sleep. Where do I sign? How do I get there? Make yeah. this happen. So on April 1st, which is Good Friday, Kurt's visited by his daughter, accompanied by one of her nannies. And then later, Gibby Haynes from, you'll remember this, the Butthole Surfers. Um, I do remember And then he goes out for a smoke break. You remember the Butthole Surfers? Yeah, but I can't. was fucking wild. I can't name a single one of their songs. No, of course not. I mean, but they were called the Butthole Surfers. The Butthole Surfers, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Honestly, it's a great name. Um, I read somewhere that Blink 182 like named their the official name of their corporation was like Pennywise Poo Poo Butt. So yeah, that I every just time they yeah, so that the, like their managers had to say that when they talked about because they thought it was funny. And I'm just like fucking 90s man, like dude. You know all I mean, all, like like butthole surfers, poo poo butt. Like um, these are grown men. I just want to take a minute. So are they though? Also, I'm single and I would just like to, to say that perhaps there's a correlation between my, like me being single and men doing shit like this. That's all I'm saying. I'm not single. And, um, my grown ass husband still does stupid shit like this. So I don't know. Again, this is why I'm single. (laughs) (laughs) Just looking at the fucking options out there. No, I get it. Uh, it's rough out there in these streets. So he goes out for a smoke break later that evening, and a couple hours later, the staff realizes he's gone. So they're on their game. Wow! Totally on top of it, uh, Kurt Cobain disappeared. They're like, "Hey, Kurt Cobain left. <laughs> Anybody seen Kurt Cobain? He's like five seven, blonde, voice you know, of a generation, like the most famous person in the whole world right now." Okay, where'd that? I love this. Go? He he scales a fence. He takes a taxi to the airport, and he flies first class to Seattle. Which, as we discussed earlier, that shit was four hundred seventy eight dollars for a ticket, a first class ticket, bought the day of, and I'm fucking like high key jealous of 94 flight prices so wait where was he was, flying from i'm fairly certain it was la well it was he was in marina del Rey, probably lax la okay yeah probably gotta be lax okay just checking. um so courtney meanwhile she's holed up at the peninsula hotel a couple different accounts possibly she's going through kind of like a rich person's luxury detox that's a possibility but it's also possible that she's just managing some business for whole uh maybe both she's a renaissance woman i don't know So Kurt is spotted in Seattle and Courtney hires private detective Tom Grant to pin him down. Um, She probably chose him because he was the only guy that picked up when she called because she starts looking for a private detective on April 3rd that year, which was Easter Sunday. Um, And she got way more than she bargained for with this fucking dude. Let me tell you. So Tom Grant is a fascinating figure in this story. And I'm going to give you the edited version of how we got and stayed involved in the story. If you want to know more, you can read L- Ian Halpern and Max Wallace's books. Lots of information there. Or you can go to Tom Grant's website, which is aptly named CobainCase.com. It's a lot, hmm. be forewarned. Huh. Um, but lots of information there. So anyway, Tom gets in touch with Courtney, goes out to their Seattle estate to look for Kurt with Dylan Carlson, Kurt's self-appointed best friend. Maybe he actually was. I don't know. But that's what they call. That's what he calls himself. That's weird. But they can't. F- 
Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, Aaron would be like, I'm Q's best friend and she would be correct. I would back her up, but he's dead and I can't ask. So I don't know. Right. Okay. Fair um, enough. Yeah. So Courtney tells Tom that Kurt is possibly depressed and suicidal, might be cheating on her, probably on drugs. Grant visits all of Kurt's favorite haunts in Seattle, but he no dice, so he leaves. And on April 7th, Courtney Love is taken from the Peninsula Hotel to the ER with a possible drug overdose and then arrested a few hours later for drug possession. She posts bail later that afternoon and immediately checks into the same rehab that Kurt skipped out on earlier in the week. I believe it's called Exodus. So side note here, there's also some talk that she did this because it gave her an ironclad alibi. She was at a hotel, she's arrested, and then she's in, she's in, she's in detox, like rehab. There's Mm. can't, can't get much more like we know where you are than that. On April 8th, 1994, an electrician working at their estate in Seattle finds Kurt's body in the garden shed above the house's garage. Um, He's been shot in the head. There's a shotgun present laying across his chest, as well as a suicide note. So uh, an autopsy shows that he's chock full of heroin, and it's obvious the injury is several days old. The police sweep through, and they pretty much immediately decide that this is a case of suicide. The coroner, Dr. Hartshorn, officially declares his death a suicide and indicates his body had been lying there for at least two days prior to discovery. Within a few days, Courtney reveals that the overdose in Rome was actually a prior suicide attempt and that she has a note to prove it. And her excuse for not talking about that before is that she was trying to protect her husband and she didn't want the media to get wind that he was suicidal, which is weird because she was telling everybody else that he was suicidal. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't really understand that. I mean, I do understand that the media was just rabid at that time period about anything Kurt Cobain, but I, I don't know why you think that you can not tell them, but tell everyone else and that it's not going to get out. Yeah. It's weird. Plus by her own admission, like he talked about killing himself in a sort of flippant way all the time. I don't, I mean, those who think that he killed himself say that that was serious. And those who believe he didn't, you know, express that that was just his way of communicating and it was, you know, the times and whatnot. But anyway, okay. So there's a memorial. There's lots of media speculation about his motives and a general understanding that Kurt was a depressed drug addict under mounting pressure to perform as a musician as well as a father. And he just couldn't. And that probably would have been the end of it, except for Tom Grant, who is immediately suspicious. And so this first of the, all, he this is the private detective. This is the PI that was hired by Courtney, by Courtney Love. Love. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's so do first it. Of all, he, yeah. Yeah. Like sometimes I feel the universe is like, all right. Okay. It's like you <laughs> yes, did it to bitch. yourself. Yes, bitch. We are playing your game. Yes, bitch. Here it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't play me. I play you, yeah. bitches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the universe's reply. So um, he's like, I'm nobody's bitch. So first of all, he doesn't know why Dylan Carlson, Kurt's closest friend, doesn't show him the garden room the first day that they check out the house. So Dylan initially claims that he didn't think to. And then later he says that he didn't know the room existed. Mm. Pick a side, buddy. Yeah. Um, There is a distinct possibility that Kurt's body was already laying there when Tom came through the first time. And it occurs to him that it's possible that Courtney wanted him to find the body when he was there on the six and was frustrated that he didn't. So Grant speaks to Rosemary Carroll, who is Kurt and Courtney's entertainment attorney. And she's also their friends. I think, I feel like she was originally um, Francis Bean's godmother and then 
that changed later and you'll see why um uh, she also expresses doubt that his death was a suicide courtney refuses to show carol the suicide note uh, but does agree to show it to grant when he expresses some doubt about what it contains and he copies it he faxes it smart and compares it to, yeah and he compares it to kurt's known handwriting so i don't know if you've ever seen the note um but the way it looks is it there's like a it's kind of like three parts there's like a beginning part which is looks like he's writing to courtney to francis bean to bada and then there's clearly a note and then there's like in much larger lettering there's some extra words so um she so they he copies the note he compares it to kurt's known handwriting and this reveals that the most of the text like the big chunk in the middle was definitely written by kurt but the beginning and the ending which are the only parts that reference suicide are inconclusive grant claims that carol told him she once found a backpack of courtney's with a notebook inside of it that showed she'd been practicing kurt's handwriting <gasps> which no. is one of the reasons she had suspicion yeah about a suicide um, according to Grant, she made a few other incendiary claims, but as soon as <laughs> as soon as she realized that he recorded all of his conversations, including the ones where she's raising allegations against her powerful and rich client, she immediately hangs up on him, stops all communication. Mm. Too late, though, he records everything. Mm. Grant has never publicly released this audio, uh, but I'm pretty sure that he allowed Max Wallace and Ian Halperin to listen to it before they printed their accusation in the book i think they refused to until they were like hey we need some proof that this actually happened and he's always claimed that he will release any and all of this evidence to whatever policing body decides to reopen kurt's, kurt's case should that happen which he definitely thinks it should but until then he's sitting tight on it so he's suspicious of the note he's also suspicious of dr hartshorn the coroner who declared the death a suicide because apparently he's an old friend of courtney love from oh. his rock promoter days in the 1980s oh, oh no yeah it said that he did not spend very long making this determination, and he's been very insistent about it in the media when he asked, declaring, I've never seen a more open and shut case of suicide. He okay. made this determination. So he's just well, go like, ahead. he's just like, hi, I'm Courtney's best friend. And also Courtney is suspected of killing her husband. And also mm -hmm. Courtney's husband's death is 100% a suicide. Okay. That's correct. Cool. That is correct. And uh, yeah, uh, I don't know why conflict of interest was not considered, but it wasn't. <laughs> so um, interestingly, he makes this determination before the, the toxicology report even comes out, but he's never going to have the opportunity to change his mind because he died unexpectedly <gasps> in a base jumping accident in 2002. What? Wait, also, what yeah. is, what is base jumping? Yeah. Uh, it's something dudes do <laughs> like that's not true i'm sure women do it too but i when, when i read what it was i was like only men could be this stupid on the regular basically it's like you jump off a big rock what <laughs> and i you know they're yeah into like, what you've seen those guys i think it's like like i think it's those things where you're supposed to like have wings and fly you know like like paragliding people do it you're like that looks really stupid you're kind of like that yeah um, but it didn't work out for him and oh, he died. My God. Okay. Mm -hmm. that, what, that's Weird what shit happens. I'm sorry, but that's a really dumb way to go. That's just dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are those who think it was not an accident. So right. uh, yes, that, that was my next thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Speaking of 
things that are weird, <laughs> the toxicology report. So the toxicology report comes out and it reveals that Kurt had been shot up with three times the lethal dose of heroin. Three times so, the legal dose. Lethal. Oh, I was like, I don't think there's a legal dose. Okay, lethal dose. Wouldn't that be nice though? We should see. I'm sure there's gotta be, like we should check Amsterdam. I don't know, whatever. But no, in this case, I said lethal and you, I just not a great speaker when I'm tired and been screaming at a computer for <laughs> We've been yelling at this computer. This podcast. Yes. Okay. Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you, computer. So there's a lot of speculation here about whether or not it's possible for a person to shoot themselves up with three times the lethal level of heroin and then shoot themselves in the head, uh, which requires some dexterity and at least a modicum of intention, which is hard to show when you're that fucked up. So they did some research. Some research was done showing that a person with a high tolerance could, in fact, ingest three times the lethal amount and survive um that was the wrong way uh, i don't know about form intent and shoot themselves in the head but at least they they could do it and not die immediately and possibly have that opportunity to commit suicide but it was later basically debunked in this particular case because it didn't take into account kurt's size and weight he was relative like on the scale smaller than what they assumed the person would be to ingesting that amount of heroin but more importantly this is really significant. The ingestion that occurred in that research was oral, as in swallowed, which will give a person some time before it goes through their digestive system and hits their body, unlike what Kurt did, which was shoot it up with a needle, which means the effect is immediate. Mm. Um, yeah. So that immediate effect means it's it's highly unlikely that he had time, according to this research, to, you know, I mean, he used a shotgun. That's a big gun. It takes a little des- dexterity, you know, a little like, figuring shit out to get that pointed and shoot it. Um, so that's the strongest evidence that all is not right in this land of Oz. I don't, I don't know offhand how anyone shoot themselves up with three times the legal limit of heroin and then like painstakingly sets up their own death by shooting themselves in the head yeah, using yeah. a shotgun. I mean, that's not really super easy to do. And there's never really been any explanation for this discrepancy other than the police's notion that a drug addict has higher tolerance than most, which was taken into consideration when they did the study. But at this point, it's already been declared a suicide. Right. So they're just like, no, 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 no. I can't hear you kind of a situation. Mm. So when we talk about the possibility of Kurt being murdered, the most logical question is who would want to do that? Journalists have been circling this question for years and the answer that they seem to collectively have come up with is Courtney Love and here's why. First of all, this is not me saying that Courtney Love killed Kurt Cobain. This is what I'm reading from journalists. Got it. First of all, there are suspicions she was facing divorce. So their fighting is becoming much more public. Kurt was supposedly becoming less willing to just suck it up and take it, which he had been doing apparently for most of their marriage. And he's also clearly becoming disenchanted with the music industry in general. And she's just full steam ahead. She wants to be a rock star in the story. There are some rumors that he may have written some of her music for Live Through This, although there's no doubt that any of her writing on Pretty on the Inside is all her own. So I don't know how much credence I give to this. Um, She definitely tapped into whatever was going on in this era. So I don't know that she needed the help. But there are those who say that Kurt was responsible for some of her bigger hits on on Live Through This, which hadn't come out yet. Mm. So without him there are there it has been said that she wouldn't have been as successful and let's be clear live through this came out 
And then I think four years later they did Celebrity Skin and that was it. Um, Hole, I don't believe has released an album since then. And I don't think, and Celebrity Skin wasn't good from what I remember. I liked the song Celebrity Skin. I didn't find anything else that particularly memorable. I'll be honest, Courtney loves music. I mean, uh, I, I don't care for her style of vocalization. Although I did feel that some of the message was interesting given the time period. It just wasn't my brain. You know, me, I was like, Joni Mitchell, Tori Amos, you yeah. know, like that. It just wasn't totally. me. So I'm not, I, I'm not the person to ask. Um, but I thought but, Celebrity Skin was the one where it just kind of sounded like she had, she had sold out. Like it, it didn't sound uh, like it sounded like a pop. Yeah. People like kind of bullshit amalgamation. Well, that's probably why I liked that song more than I did. <laughs> yeah. But you also have to remember Celebrity Skin came out like I think 98. Isn't right. that when fucking Britney came out? I mean like right. shit was starting to lean in that dang. direction. So totally. who knows? Okay. Um let's see. What I okay, da, da, da. what I can say for certain is that she made Kurt sign a prenup so that that if they divorced, she wasn't getting much of anything from him. And she wasn't anywhere near as successful as Nirvana at that point in her career. Did she think she was so, about to blow I mean, up did or it. something? Why would she have him sign a prenup? Well, if she's a narcissist, right? Um, that that could that could figure into it. It was like it was kind of a joke at the time. She's like, "Oh, I don't want Kurt running off with all my money." I think she did think she was going to get big, but I think mostly she did it because I don't. I mean. She has very publicly spoken about the fact that she thought that Kurt was going to OD before he turned 35. So I don't think that she thought that this marriage was going to end a divorce. I think she thought that he would, if it was going to end, he would OD. And therefore she got to, it's a very punk rock thing to be like, I don't need your fucking money, even though she very much wanted his fucking money. Yeah. Um, but she didn't have to look like she did, you know, but if he divorces her, then that is definitely going to cause a problem in getting his fucking money. Right. Uh, there are allegations he was cheating. Grant maintains that she was extremely worried about the possibility that he was fucking a local drug dealer in Seattle named Caitlin. Wait, and about the possibility that he was attempting. Who her name was Caitlin. That's, uh, you know what? what no, who, ma who maintains it? Tom Grant. Oh, Tom Grant said that she brought it up like, oh, you need to check with Caitlin. He's fucking this drug dealer named Caitlin. Oh. Um, and I, I think that there were other people who said that that was a concern. Um, and there was this uh, art student. I couldn't find her name anywhere. And frankly, God bless her. I wouldn't reveal it if I did. But um, that he might have been interested in. Apparently, he'd sent some what could have been interpreted as love notes to her. Uh, I think that Courtney Love was a little insecure around the idea that he might be interested in someone who was refined or educated mm. um she had her appeal and they had a very strong connection on one very particular level but um a lot of kurt's a lot of what i read about kurt indicated that he had kind of a poet's heart that he he enjoyed having conversations that might have been more intellectual than you know or at least learned you know more like a reader more like someone who's interested in education uh that maybe courtney love felt that she was up to snuff for so i can see her having some insecurity around that particularly around a college girl um so weeks before kurt's death courtney had supposedly told her lawyers to find the meanest divorce lawyers that they could that's pretty oh telling. okay um at least yeah yeah Here's a good one. Uh, at least one man has come forward claiming that Courtney offered him $50,000 to kill her husband. His <gasps> name was Eldon. Yeah. Eldon Hoke. 
nicknamed El Deuce. And while he was definitely an alcoholic and a sketchy character, uh, he did die suspiciously just a few days after granting an interview about his connection to Cobain's death in 97. He was run over by a train. No one can explain how that happened. What? So All these people mm-hmm. fucking died mysteriously around this? Oh, it keeps going. Okay, so Courtney had a reputation for being vicious and vindictive when she didn't get what she wanted. Again, not going into it. If you want to read about it, Google it, read the books. It's all over the interwebs. I'm not, I don't, I'm not here to get sued. Um, finally, following Kurt's death, Courtney's bassist, Kristen Pat, Faff. I'm almost positive it's P F A F F. And when I looked up how to pronounce Faff. that, I it like said ten different things. I think it's Faff. I think it's. Uh, so she decided to leave. Yeah, it's got to be right. Yeah. So she's beautiful and talented, and there are rumors that possibly Kurt was into her. They were at least very close friends. Um, and after his death, she decides to leave Hole. But she's found dead of an overdose in her Seattle bathroom while packing up her things to move to Minneapolis interest she had detoxed in february of 94 and according to her family was clean which made her death of an, an overdose that much more suspicious courtney had reportedly been at i'm sorry Kristen had reportedly been at odds with courtney about her decision to leave and journalists have suggested that courtney may have had a hand in engineering her death to wit the last person to see Kristen faff alive was eric erlinson Kristen's ex-boyfriend whole guitarist and very close friend of you guessed it courtney love so that is the severely edited version of how that worked out, what the suspicions are. There's so much more to it, but that took almost an hour or so. Yeah. What Dang. you got? Okay, motherfuckers. Are you ready? Born ready. Let's do this. <laughs> okay. How does the rest of that song even go? Is that, that a song? Like, yeah. That jock jam. I talked about it last time. A jock jam? What is yes. a jock jam? Yes, that they play at like like basketball games and stuff. No, oh, I didn't go to those. I think it's <laughs> no, like I don't know. <laughs> Are you ready? It's like jump, everybody, jump, everybody, jump. I don't know. I have no idea. I'll ask Michael. He'll know. Okay. Yeah, he'll know. Okay. Okay. Shit. This shit is insane. <sighs> B-A-N-A-N-A-S. So first of all, we have birth times for Kurt and Courtney. So we have houses. Oh, so we have rising signs and everything. We have risings, we have houses. Nice. You will be shocked, as I was, to learn that Kurt has a Virgo rising. Uh... <laughs> okay, <laughs> that I mean, yes, but also, I mean, how else would that fucking? I mean, how else would he be successful? You know what I'm saying? Um, like... that's what I'm trying to say. And to all you Virgos and Virgo risings out there, I just want to say it's okay as long <laughs> as you're a woman or a trans person <laughs> uh-huh. or a gender non-conforming person, but Virgo men. Mm. No, y'all can just take your bad attitudes and go organize a fucking bookshelf. Okay. Unless you're Kurt Cobain, you get a pass. All shit talking aside, like you kind of mentioned a second ago, thank God. I have to say, thank God for the Virgo in his chart, because it was pretty much the only thing holding this man together. He had almost every single sign in water, sun in Pisces, moon and Jupiter in Cancer. Mercury, oh yeah mercury <laughs> venus saturn in pisces neptune no in thank mars, you in scorpio which oh. mars in scorpio also is why he was so driven so yeah a little earth in that chart wait I'm, what's his venus venus let's see what venus pisces oh yeah just i mean though. just the sweetest of sweet baby angels so yeah 
We love a little earth in here. So I'm just going to dive right the fuck in because the first thing I saw when I looked at his chart was Pluto opposite Venus. And my jaw just dropped when I saw that. So Pluto, as we all know, because I talk about it all the time, is a planet of death, rebirth, deep transformational change, control, wealth, power struggles, and shadow feelings included, but not limited to jealousy and obsession. So everything rough. Yeah. Pluto's intense. So Pluto (laughs) opposite Venus, Venus is a planet that oversees love, sex relationships, and women or femme energy. When these two planets oppose each other, you're looking at, well, infatuation for one thing, but also relationships with out of control, jealous, possessive people. (laughs) You're looking at abuse, threatening behavior, manipulation, violence, and potential death. That's Pluto coming into your life through relationships. Also, I would say that for a person with so much Pisces in their chart, Pisces of the mutable signs is in my opinion, the most malleable. We're talking about the mutable sign that's made out of water, the most malleable element. So that can mean super vulnerable to being manipulated and to be fair to being manipulative themselves. But generally Mm -hmm. this is going to be someone who at least initially in their lives, if not later on, struggles with boundaries big time. Okay. But let's zoom out for a minute and just look at Kurt. He has a Pisces stellium, which just means a fuck ton of planets are in Pisces. And he has another stellium in Scorpio. So this is just obviously big, deep, intense feelings. And I also hurts my feelings. (laughs) Yeah. I, yes, this is, um, not a fucking joke. Very intense chart. And on that Pisces note, Pisces and Scorpio are both super, um, like they both have super strong, prophetic, supernatural powers. People with all that Pisces and Scorpio in their charts are going to be way more likely to have psychic capabilities. So put a pin in that and I'll come back to it later. That is interesting only because, um, I watched montage of heck recently and Mm. Courtney love goes on in there. I don't know if you've seen that it's a mind bender. Yikes. Uh, about how. Um, she, they ask her if she ever cheated on Kurt. And I was like, oh, that's okay. <laughs> I guess just, we're doing that today. Let's just get right to the fucking <laughs> Let's dirt, just baby. talk about it. And she was like, no, I thought about it once and he fucking knew it. I don't know how he knew it, but he knew it. And the guy was like, what was his response? And she's like, he took 67 ro- roofies basically with a bottle of champagne. So what she's talking about the Rome incident that she maintains was a, um, a purposeful uh, uh, suicide attempt. But uh, apparently according to, to Courtney, um, he prophetized that prophetized pro, pro, prophecy and whatever he knew that he she knew. was thinking about cheating on him he and didn't that appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't about it. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't surprise me at all. And I think th- there was probably a lot of that in his life. Look, just looking at his chart prophecy. Uh, there it is. English teacher in me must <laughs> look, do that. <laughs> look, you know what? Sometimes it takes us a minute. Um, it's also worth noting that his North node was in Scorpio. So a lot of astrologers talk about the North node in terms of what you're meant to accomplish in this lifetime. Others talk about it in terms of your areas of expansion in this lifetime. Scorpio, of course, is death and rebirth transformation and shadow emotions. So embodying the shadow was part of, depending on how you look at it, his, um, areas of expansion are sort of like the trajectory of his life path. 
So mission accomplished. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Check that one off. Right. So those are some initial observations, but yeah, dude, he has such a dynamic chart. First of all, he has a grand trine, which is super helpful for making people successful. He has a mini grand trine, which rests on top of the grand trine <laughs> and points to success in creatively communicating with huge groups because it connects to Jupiter in the 11th house. That's Ooh. the house of networks of groups of friends. Um, professional networks and Jupiter like makes things really big. So it's like big groups. And he has a T square where the top planet is not a planet. It's his midheaven, which is the point in a person's chart that oversees legacy and career. So I think all of these were really coming together to bring the energy of huge success in a creative career. But he had a lot of really difficult aspects too. In fact, you don't say, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. In fact, he had one of the most difficult aspects in astrology, and that is Venus conjunct Saturn, which I think really points to his childhood. Like this is not fun times this is a fucking bummer. It sets you up, especially in childhood to feel unloved and lonely to not be able to get the affection you need, especially from your father. Cause we're talking about, Saturn. yeah, that checks out. It also can make you shy and can set you up to feel like people don't value you, which leads to self-esteem issues. So that's like, that's why it's so rough. But that said, this transit can also set you up to be rewarded for hard work, especially in areas of creativity and wealth, which are Venus realms. And I think we see all of that in his life. But also fucking get this. Another thing I dug up when I was looking more deeply into this aspect was this side note that one astrologer mentioned, which like, to me, I was like, well, I've never heard this before, but I wanted to put it in here. Cause I was, it like kind of fucking blew my mind that if you hurt or betrayed someone in a previous life, they could come back in this lifetime to fuck you up in return. So I'm just putting that out there for that's really unfair. <laughs> Isn't that a wild Fuck. I was like, I'm like paying off debts from other lifetimes, my dude, oh, honey. <laughs> yeah. Big time. But also it's just like, how does Venus conjunct Saturn denote that? But I mean, Hey, I, th I thought it was fucking wild. Well, so I want okay. to put that in I don't there. know anything about astrology. It's your area, but like Venus is femme energy, right? Right. I know this much from hearing you speak. And then Saturn is, is male energy. It can be sure. Is that like, well, a, cause you're talking about like the father figure thing. Well, Saturn is like, f yes, I can see why you would say that usually in traditional astrology, Mars is the one that takes up that space of the masculine, but Saturn is definitely, I would say if I had to assign it, uh, a, gender. a gender energy, I would definitely say a, a, a genergy, a genergy. We actually, we should come up with a list and make everyone mad and, uh, and assign the planet sexes. Just be like. <laughs> Oh my God. Y'all all fall here, here. None well, of you're all conforming, gender well, conforming. I have to say one time I interviewed, um, Chani Nicholas for title magazine. And I asked her if she felt like, um, it was, oh, what did I say? I, I asked her if she felt like it was sexist that people don't really value the moon sign <laughs> because like the moon sign is like the fem really, they don't? feminine. Well, you know, people aren't, people don't, just know their moon signs. They know their sun signs. And the sun again is another, well, anyway, she like got yeah. mad at me. <laughs> she, didn't get Did mad she? At, she didn't get mad at me, but she was like, it sounds to me like you are gendering the planets. And I was like, 
Um, yeah, but I kind of, yes, but I feel like that's very common to, to like the moon is the mother, you know, um, yeah. the sun is kind of, I don't know, whatever the sun is the ego. I don't know. They're, they're not gendered, but anyway, do like the awkward Nicholas dance out of the room. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, the Nick Miller, the Nick Miller, yeah. uh, backwards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I would never. <laughs> okay. So, um, okay. Where was I? Okay. Here we are. As if that shit weren't fucked enough. And those of you who study astrology may have already figured this out. His Saturn is also opposite Pluto, right? Because Venus is over here hugging Saturn, but of course, you know, Saturn's not hugging. Saturn's Venus not back. psyched about it. No. Yeah. Saturn's the like one-sided don't. hug. Like, don't touch me. Hate you. <laughs> um, that's how fucking Saturn rolls. So if Pluto is opposite Venus, it's also opposite Saturn. Okay. So Pluto opposite Saturn. This is an aspect that happens over the course of years, not like 10 years, but maybe like three years, if you're willing to go wider with the opposition. So like a wider orb. So it kind of has a generational effect a bit. But if you ask me that effect that it had was basically the grunge movement because people with this aspect are set up to see the darkness of life early on and be deeply impacted by it. It can create social estrangement in your early years, maybe from like bullying or feelings of having no support from your family or the people around you. And, and I fucking kid you not, it creates a sense of disillusionment during the teen years. So like, I'm sorry, smells like teen spirit, the fucking anthem yeah, of the 90s. 100%. But it also makes me think of Jeremy that Pearl Jam song with the video of the kid who's ignored by his parents and gets bullied at school and then fucking loses it on his classmates and basically kills everyone. And that was, that was way before, well, not way before, but that was like 10 that years was Pearl Jam. before. Was it? Te- before Columbine. Yeah. Oh, all right. Before Columbine. I thought that was like, wait, could not have been 10 years before Kurt Cobain. There's no, 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 no. It was like, it was like the same time, but anyway, it was, but you know, that like, um, the, uh, the, like the first school shooting that I know of as a true crime person was like 70s or 80s. Oh, Remember, I, I, I don't like Mondays. About. Yes. Right. Yeah. It was a girl too. But then there was like no- nothing for a long time. Well, that's not exactly true. It just wasn't reported. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, now we teenagers have been episode. hating being teenagers for a really long time. <laughs> okay. It turns out. <laughs> well, anyway, Eddie Vedder was born under this influence, as was Courtney Love and Chris Cornell, and probably like lots of other grunge greats. So that's what I mean about this being sort of generational. Oh, that checks out. That makes sense. But yeah, it also sets you up to have this like deep Plutonian rage against the man, which is essentially what Saturn represents or can represent. So yeah, if Kurt Cobain wasn't the fucking poster child for Pluto opposite Saturn, I don't know who was. Um, and one last thing about this transit that I want to add, when I was looking more into it, I found a warning from one astrologer that I'd never heard before that I thought was so interesting. They said that people with Saturn opposite Pluto in their charts have to remember that confidence that comes from drugs is temporary and to avoid influencing people by exploring the shadow because that kind of power has karmic consequences. So that makes me angry though, because it makes me think of all those parents that were like, eh, Kurt Cobain needs to stop feeding our kids this bullshit. I'm like, oh, I don't want them to be right. <laughs> I very much want them to be wrong. Well, I don't think it's that so much as like, I think it's about Pluto is going to, it's going to create addictions. It's going to create the atmosphere for addiction. And so okay. if you're, if you're getting your power from drugs, like 
that it's not, it can't possibly last. Right. Because right. So yeah, that's, that's all that's, temporary. That's all right. ephemeral. So I think that's more what that points to. Okay. More in his chart that proves that people who talk shit about astrology are dumb. Kurt also had Mercury opposite Pluto. People with this placement can have really intense, deep, painful, complex thoughts that make them feel like other people don't get them thoughts because Mercury controls the mind. It controls communication. So it feels isolating and it creates an inability to communicate, to connect. But because Pluto is obsessive, it can also help these people to focus their minds onto one specific area sort of obsessively and get really fucking good at it. What I think is so interesting is that that's another thing that kind of sums up the ethos. Well, I was going to say, well, the ethos of a lot of subcultures really, but especially grunge grunge was like, we're deep, we're wounded, we're estranged, we're in our heads, we're smart and you don't fucking get it. So we're over here doing our own dark thing. Right. And if you think about the line, he repeats over and over again, in all apologies, he says, all alone is all we are. That is the manifestation of Mercury opposite Pluto. And I also feel like it's a reflection of Venus conjunct Saturn. Okay. More crazy shit. And like, I'm sorry, but this is fucking earth shattering. And I need everyone to just shut the fuck up and listen to me. (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'm the only one here. So (laughs) shut up, be quiet. Shut up and listen to me. (laughs) Okay. Kurt has Uranus exactly conjunct his ascendant and just next door is Pluto. What does that mean? It means he has Pluto, Uranus, and his ascendant all conjunct in the first fucking house. Okay, what the fuck? Let's break this down. Uranus conjunct ascendant. We remember what conjunct means. I was told to be quiet. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Conjunction, a conjunction is when it's like right on top of each other, just like dry humping. Yes, rub, I remember rubbing, this. rubbing all the genitalia all up in it. Okay. Okay, Uranus conjunct ascendant people do their own thing in the public eye, right? We're talking about Uranus. They're forward thinking, that's Uranus, and they are fucking marching to the beat of their own cross-dressing outfit complete with tiara on stage where everyone could just eat a dick if they didn't like it. Good for them. It also means quick unforeseen changes that swoop in out of nowhere and fucking change everything in your public life and that affect your identity in a very serious way pluto conjunct ascendant so this aspect can be and i want to emphasize can be i know we've talked about this before but like if you have this in your chart you have free will around how you work with it but it can be really fucking dark it carries the plutonian energies of depression addiction major issues around rejection literally could see heroin addiction with this aspect in a way that completely changes your identity which you know heroin pretty much always does but as we talked about in the Eileen Warnos episode, Pluto is also about power, money, and fame. And when we're talking about the ascendant in the first house, we're talking about life path and public image. So celebrity can also be a big part of this aspect. Okay. But Pluto conjunct Uranus in the first house is just next level nuts. Like I honestly can't think of a crazier fucking conjunction and placement. And I have moon conjunct Pluto, which is a lot, but this is next more. Level. Yeah, this is, I think it is more, maybe I think it's more. So this astrology points to huge changes that can lead to fame and wealth and power, dramatic life changes that are beyond your control 
and being rebellious in your relationship to the shadow side, which that last one is just a lot of words that basically spell out grunge in the end. Mm. But honestly, okay. I really want to underscore this because it's so important to me that I make a point with this. We all have Pluto in our charts and we all have to dance with that devil. I totally believe that there's such a thing as free will. And there are people who have major Plutonian placements. Like for example, Peter Gabriel also has Pluto conjunct ascendant. My king. Yes. Who we love. And when you listen to a song, like digging in the dirt, you're like, yes, this is one super powerful, constructive way of dealing with Pluto in the first house. So I'm not here to say that if you have this intense as aspect that X, Y, or Z is going to happen to you. I don't buy that astrology is your fate, but I do believe that it points to the energies you're going to learn to work with in this lifetime or not learn to, if you choose to just ignore that shit. So in the end, it's all about how you choose to wield Pluto energy in your life. I just really want to clarify that because if anyone's like, oh fuck, I have that aspect, you know. Yeah, please don't use this as an excuse to become a heroin addict. Yeah, this or like jump off a bridge. You. Yeah. Mm-mm. No, no, no. No, 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 no. You're not fucked. Okay. It's Go listen of- to digging in the dirt. It's yeah. an excellent song. Yeah. Okay. That said, back to Kurt. He had this very tricky, very challenging aspect. Uranus ascendant Pluto conjunction. Uranus is unpredictable and causes changes out of nowhere. Pluto is both wealth and fame and it's depression, pain, violence. And yes, it has the capacity to create death. And the ascendant is about your relationship to the outside world, what the public sees. So yes, there were multiple ways that conjunction could have gone in his life, but one of the ways it definitely could have gone and incidentally did go (laughs) was sudden. That's Uranus unforeseen. That's Uranus death pluto in the public eye ascendant uranus pluto ascendant okay so they were all holding hands to make his death just as sad and tragic as humanly possible and just like yeah and just famous so much dry humping this is like you know this this sort of um yeah so much dry humping (laughs) so much dry humping around your death kurt i'm so (laughs) sorry okay want to know what else tell me this Pluto Uranus ascendant conjunction that's opposing the Venus and Saturn conjunction. Guess what fucking house that that Venus and Saturn conjunction is in that's being acted on, opposed by death loving Pluto. Take a fucking guess. Well, I know it's not the first because we already did that one. We did that so, one. Honey, uh, it go is for in, it. It's in the house of marriage. If Oh, if if you're using whole houses, which is what I use, it's in the goddamn house of marriage and want to know what else is in his house of marriage. Fucking Chiron, the wounded healer, just that dude who walks around carrying trauma. So it's just in, in fucking just that dude. Who's like, Hey, remember that thing you did? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, remember when we were fucking pilgrims? Yeah, I do. (laughs) Round two, bitch. Um, Yeah, I have no idea if that part's true, but um, but it could be true, and it's it's interesting to talk about. That's right. Thank you. Side note, and I think this is fucking fascinating. So he has this Virgo stellium in the first house that we just talked about, and then a Pisces stellium directly opposite in the seventh house. The seventh house, like I said, the house of marriage. But some astrologers call the house the house of marriage the house of open enemies because they say that. Um, I know 
the seventh house is directly across from your first house. It's the house of essentially your opponents. So the fact that he has all this opposing this energy pleases me. I know. I know. When I read that, I was like, lol. <laughs> Explains oh. a lot of marriages, though. I'm going to be honest with you about it. Baby, you know, mm-hmm. 50% yeah. plus, 50%. let's be honest, 50% plus. Yeah, well, the ones that are staying married sometimes, you know, shouldn't. Yeah, let's be honest. Let's so, talk about it. Um, yeah, just the fact that he has all of this intense Pluto, Uranus, Saturn, Venus stuff, like in this first house, uh, house of marriage, you know, opposition, which some astrologers call the house of enemies. I'm just putting that out there for you to do with as you like. Hey, it's just information. It's just info, baby. It's just some intel. Another clue that we have in Kurt's chart is that he had Lilith in the eighth house in Aries. So Lilith is the point in a person's chart that marks the dark side of the feminine, how the dark side of the feminine shows up and for them in their lifetime. And that, what does that look like? We're talking about repressed feminine energies, traumatized femininity, et cetera. It's, it's in the eighth house for him, the house that Scorpio oversees Scorpio being the sign that's ruled by Pluto, the overlord of death and rebirth and obsessions and addictive behavior. This dude cannot catch a break. And it's in fucking Aries, which is ruled by Mars, the god of war and violence. So just want to put that out there as well for no reason at all. (laughs) And on that note, before I turn to Courtney Love's chart, I'm going to talk about another major aspect he has, which is Venus opposite his ascendant. So this aspect sets you up to really want one-on-one connection, especially with artists or creatives or women or femme folks, right? Because we're talking about Venus, but there's something about this placement that makes a person feel like they can't really find themselves outside of the relationship. Like their identity is sort of dependent on the relationship or said another way, it can really set a person up to struggle big time with codependence. So with that, I'll move to Courtney's chart. Yeah. I mean, it can. So what you're saying is the partner that you pick is really important. Well, and also like if you suspect that your partner might be uh, cheating on you and you down like how many roofies, like that's probably a good 67. That's what she says. 67. I can't believe wouldn't the person die from what I understand. He was technically dead. Like they brought him back. Holy shit. I don't know though. I mean, when I, what, what I read in the book said it was 50, like the book catalogs it at a solid 50, which I'm like, the fuck is walking around with 50 roofies just out of curiosity. Yeah. What? What? No one needs to sleep that bad. (laughs) Um, Except maybe me, but I'm not taking that many roofies for that fucking experience. But she did say in montage of heck, I'm pretty sure she said 67. And I definitely choked up my soda because I was like, what? What? Yeah, do a spit take for sure. Okay, let's look at court. Courtney is a cancer and was born on the day of a partial solar eclipse. Yeah. So born on the day of a partial solar eclipse, people who are born on eclipses have lots of power in uh, in astrology and they get to choose in this lifetime how to use it. And a great example is fucking Trump, who was born on a full solar eclipse. Yeah. And decided to use his power to be a sociopath. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, whether Courtney has been using her powers for good or evil, I'm not going to say necessarily, but she definitely was given extra powers to use in this lifetime. 
She has Pluto opposite Saturn. It's wide in her chart. It's eight degrees, but the energy is there for sure. We've already talked about uh, that because we, okay. We've talked about this exact thing because we see it in Kurt's chart too. And Eddie Vedder's Eddie Vedder. That's his name, right? Not yeah. What, but so, suddenly I was like, Eddie Van Halen. Nope. Well, <laughs> nope. so that's a person, but it's not who we're discussing. That's not, that's not the person. Okay. Yeah. Nope. Anyway, so we've seen this in like tons of, of famous grunge musicians. Um, it's the one that lasts for maybe three years. It's about feeling powerless to the man and angry about it, having big feelings, feeling bullied, blah, blah, blah. And it probably Gen X. It's just Gen X. Yeah. It's like the Gen X. Um, it's like the astrology that created Gen X probably. Okay. Yeah. But the closer opposition that she has here is Pluto in Virgo opposite Chiron, the wounded healer. So there are definitely different ways of looking at this aspect. Again, Pluto is very dynamic, but with oppositions, we have to remember that the two entities are at complete odds with each other. They're as far apart from each other as is possible in the Zodiac. So you have on the one hand, this trauma and pain and wound of Chiron that wants to heal through vulnerabilities, like that's in tender as like in tender as fuck Pisces. Like that's Ew, like yuck, terrible. No. Yeah. So, and then on the other side, you have Pluto who can regenerate and do the whole rebirth thing, but is not about to be vulnerable the way that Chiron needs. Absolutely Pluto, not. Absolutely not. Not without help. Like Pluto is like, I would like a rebirth, please. Yes. But I will burn everything to the fucking ground before I admit to a vulnerability. And therefore right. I would like rebirth. I want absolutely no compromise right. in yep. getting that. Yep. So, that's, um, that's Pluto's other thing is control. It wants control. And like part I of like being Pluto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And part, I mean, I actually think that Saturn and Pluto probably have a lot in common. Okay. No dry humping, full humping for them. <laughs> yeah. Jeans off. No fucking jeans off. We're doing it. <laughs> so because of that, Pluto can, can easily override Chiron and go in the other direction, which is destruction, addiction, obsession, dark emotions, and death. So we got all that. <laughs> right. So here's how I see this. Okay. There's a deep wound, right? Chiron holds the wound. It's happening in Pisces, which is a super creative sign in her house of work. Okay. It's in the sixth house. So she feels wounded around her work and creativity in some way, like maybe allegedly potentially doesn't think that her work is actually very good, which you sort of alluded to. Yeah. So here's the thing to be able to tap into Pluto's regenerative powers around that wound. She has to cop to it. She has to admit that she has that feeling. And that goes for all of us. If we ever happen, want to, if we want to work with Chiron, we have to tap in there. No, thank that, you. That's the vulnerability aspect. But if she can't, yes. she has Pluto who is, by the way, in her 12th house of trauma and secret, opposing that wound and being like, yo, destruction, violence, death. And I just like to take this moment <laughs> to reflect on the fact that because she's a Libra rising, she doesn't. Oh, she is. You know who else is a Libra rising? Your fucking husband. Yeah, I'm aware of that. Yeah. <laughs> just putting that I'm aware of that with a Virgo moon. It's I so know. fun. Mm. A Leo with a Virgo moon and a Libra rising. Mm. He's always right until he isn't. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. How you doing, girl? Um, okay. Okay. So because she has a Libra rising, she doesn't only have Pluto planet of death in her house of trauma and 
secrets once again she also has virgo kurt's rising sign in her house of trauma and secrets okay just putting that out there Okay. okay more about her chart she has venus conjunct mars in the house of expansion venus is about relationships and creativity and money mars is about drive ambition lust passion With a conjunction, you're likely looking at someone who's super intense and demanding, maybe even super needy in relationships to the point that it could definitely become volatile because of Mars and someone who can become combative or even violent around reaching their goals. So Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting that this is all in the house of expansion because it points to romantic relationships providing expansion for her. And actually with that kind of placement, Venus conjunct Mars in the ninth house, I would not be surprised if a person intentionally looked for a partner who could help them with expanding their goals. So like literally everything I read about her says that that's what she did. She looked for like the next rising dude and she like, she married, she, she, there was some dude that she was with in um, London, Julian Copeland, I think it was. And like, she got with him, he got famous. Then she married James Moreland been on the scene for a while she married him he got famous and then that didn't work out at all and then billy corgan she did billy corgan and then she just hop skip jumped to the next rising star which was kurt cobain kurt cobain so in other words it's fucking intensity town up in her relationship sphere but again how you choose to drive around intensity town is up to you if you're ramming your fucking truck into trees and shit like you're gonna have a harder time with this placement and also get this shit. Lilith is opposing this conjunction. Lilith again, embodies the shadow of the feminine, the repressed feminine, the traumatized and pissed off feminine. So actually, I think we saw Courtney Love embody this in some really cool feminist ways. Like she was vocal about feminine anger. She was outspoken about women who weren't like patriarchy approved, beautiful, being able to take up space and claim power. I remember her doing this thing on MTV where she was like, real women eat and then she stuffed a sandwich in her mouth which was pretty cool yeah no i mean like she's a real dichotomy because i mean she she was i mean they call her the queen of noise you know there's a lot of people a lot of people i know who consider her a really solid feminist icon Mm -hmm. which is interesting to me because she also made no bones according to what i've read she made no bones about the fact that she was like i'm a woman People won't take me as seriously. So if I'm going to get as famous as I want to be, I need to hitch my wagon to a rising male star. Isn't that so it's like what this like super not feminist thing, but being framed in a feminist way, but being framed in a feminist way. And to be fair, bitch, that shit worked like <laughs> yeah. she, I, like she the equation, like she understood the assignment. You know, I mean, I there's no <laughs> there's no doubt that she got what she wanted. Yeah. Uh, minus some blips, but like, but, but then, but yet we don't know. We don't know if those were blips or if those were part of the equation she had worked out. You just don't know. Yeah. And yeah. And another part of this is like, that I also think is super cool. And that I think that she did was like sort of similar to Madonna, like refusing to fit into a box around what women's sexuality should look like. And I think also what you're talking about, like what, um, like not, not having to be a saint, not having to be a good girl, you know, like being like, fuck that. I'm going to do what I want. Interesting Um, side note. Did you know that after pretty on the inside came out and like, there was a lot of buzz around their next album, which ended up being, what was the second album? The one that everybody lived through this. Yes. Lived through this. 
I don't even think it's arguably their best album. Um, Madonna tried to sign her. And that was actually what really got the buzz going about Hole is that Madonna was interested in the group. And the Madonna said later that she had one meeting with her and she's like, she is miserable. And all she does is talk about how great she is the entire time and how much better her work is than her husband's. And she just talked shit about him the whole time. And I just couldn't imagine uh, spending any real amount of time with this person. So I wasn't interested. And I was like, oh my okay, God. first of all, ouch. Well, okay, one time on MTV, Kurt Loder, I think was Kurt Loder, was interviewing Madonna uh, live at some event. Maybe it was like the VMA Awards or something. And they were up on, they were like outside, but upstairs, if that makes sense. It was like sure. outside, but they were like, yeah, like on a terrace or something. Yeah. And fucking during their interview, Courtney Love is like throwing shit at them. Yeah, this is, in, this is absolutely in line with every character reference I've ever heard her described as this checks I, out and Kurt Loder like leans over and he's like oh uh it's Courtney Love where there and he says something like there's um you, there's Courtney Love here where there's lots of something there's lots of uh god I wish I could remember exactly what he said there there's lots of um things to be said or whatever and then fucking Madonna goes yeah and plenty of available drugs <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't like, you know, she was shy about it. Like after the the thing where she was probably taking methadone, at least through most of her pregnancy, she put out some statement. It's printed in a magazine where she was like, I didn't take, you know, heroin throughout my pregnancy. But if I did, it's none of your fucking business. If I want to take heroin and acid and snort Coke every fucking day of my entire fucking presidency, pregnancy, that's my fucking business. It's not your business. If, if I want to be immoral, I can be immoral. And I was like, well, it's kind of, it's kind of other people, you know? <laughs> well, and that's, what's so interesting about this aspect, right? It's like, she, there are some really cool things about it and some really strong feminist things about it. And then it goes into this dark side, right? There's a dark side of, to this opposition that we're talking about where you would see issues around being abusive in relationships. And I'm sorry, but, um, that is, we're talking about ch child abuse from the get-go. If you're like, yeah. I'm just, I'm just gonna do whatever drugs I want while I'm pregnant. Like, yeah, you are, you are abusing that child. Um, you know, and that's like, even a part of addiction is like, abuse comes with addiction. That's just part of the package. Um, but there are also like self-esteem issues related to this, which I think ultimately is kind of what's underneath a lot of it. And there's also this like taking sexuality to dangerous places that happens when you have, mm. um, when you have this opposition with Lilith. So, um, and of course, tumultuous relationships, cause that's just like the Lilith like signature. So because of this conjunction, um, she also has Lilith opposing Mars and this one, this one is really some shit when this, before we were talking about Venus opposing Lilith. Now we're talking about Mars. When this happens, you're talking about ruthless ambition that backfires. You're talking about winning at all costs, even if it leads to your downfall in the end. And there are also issues with possessiveness with this placement and especially possessiveness that comes from insecurities, which is like total Lilith shit. Pluto, of course, because we, you know, fucking need to talk about Pluto. It's all up in our chart. It has a, there's a Pluto square to Mars. And this is a big fucking deal. This is similar 
to Lilith opposite Mars because Lilith and Pluto can occupy some of the same emotional real estate. So what it can often do is set up this sort of insatiable thirst for power and control and success. But again, and I think we saw this with Eileen Warnos, when you have the two most destructive planets at odds with each other, Pluto and Mars, you are upping the probability of violent eruptions and aggression by a lot, especially if the person in question feels like their power or dominance or ambitions are being thwarted somehow. So mm. homegirl also had a wide Pluto Venus square, which I know we've talked about before in other epis, but let's review controlling manipulative relationship behaviors. This is the aspect of stalking and just like overall needing to have the power and upper hand in relationships. It's almost as if people who are involved in violent crime have an issue here. (laughs) It's almost as if it's almost as if we're about to have an entire podcast about this fucking aspect. It's almost as if ladies, you need to get your fucking dudes chart. Yeah. All this this shit talking that I see on TikTok about like, Oh, when a girl asked me for what time I was born, I'm so out of there. It's like, no bitch. Cool. This- bye. Yeah. Yeah. Because great. If Sounds you great. that's like, that's like a, like someone wanting to do a background check on you and you being like, no, I refuse. It's like, what yeah, are you also? I- it's like, if you don't believe in it, then you don't have anything to fucking worry about. Do you? Yeah. Right. So if you don't believe in it, you're dumb. Yeah. Tell me more <laughs> about some Bitcoin. You no, know, like whatever. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. Come on, Chad. Yeah. Talk I can about get your a- fantasy. They'll do fantasy football. Baby, I'm sorry, but it's true. It's stupid. You'll do fantasy football all day fucking long and talk about that shit like it's real. But this is it's all of a sudden not ridiculous. Real. It's not real. <laughs> but you know what is real is the fucking stars. So um you can just get on your hey. fucking segue and segue on out of here, honey. Okay. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. So, and we're okay. So we're talking about stalking and she fucking hires a private detective to follow her husband around. Also, you know, she's hired more like, yeah, that's just what we know about. Okay. Well, I mean, her husband, her first husband, James Moreland talked about how, when they would get in fights, she would tell him that she had people on her payroll that would beat him up or would spy on him and get information about him. He didn't do what she wanted him to do. And And then he did it. To be fair, this is coming from an ex-husband and one who's a little bit bitter, no doubt about that. But it it falls in line with some later behavior. It's like we need to have a convo. We need to teach a class. The difference between being a bad bitch and being a psycho bitch. Yeah, there's a difference between being a bad bitch and being a bad bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yikes. Yeah, it's like we have Rihanna and we have fucking Courtney Love. And there's a line. And there's, there's a line, line. Yeah. and it's, it's not the thinnest. It's not the thinnest line. No, it's fairly, it's, it's full figured. You it's know? got girth. It's got uh-huh. girth. Okay. Okay. So what is underneath it? Always when you see this stuff come up, we're looking at self-esteem issues and insecurities, which by the way, we all have. So again, you might be dealt this cosmic hand and be like, wow, you know what? Like I could keep tossing my relationships into the dumpster fire of my own making, or I could go to therapy and really work on strengthening my internal foundation so that I show up for myself in a different way, instead of like, you know, projecting it all onto my relationships. But 
it's like, it's one, it's one way or the other, honey. And if you're not even willing to admit to these feelings, then just, you know, dumpster fire forever for you. Okay. So those are some pertinent aspects of her chart, but let's look at what was going on in her chart on the day of Kurt's death. A few things really stick out to me here. So on the day of his death, Uranus and Neptune were conjunct by three degrees in Capricorn. Capricorn, and I love- Getting shit done. Getting shit done. (laughs) It's what we do. And I love to remind you of this whenever possible, because you have a Cap (laughs) Sun. Capricorn is represented by the devil in the tarot. So I do believe you've mentioned that a couple other times. Just a chill, totally not meaningful, symbolic representation. I'm comfortable with it. Okay, so why? So why? Why is Cap repped by the fucking Prince of Darkness? Because Capricorn- people resent success. That sounds right. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> because Capricorn, the shadow of the sign, embodies the energy of greed and ruthless ambition. It's giving me CEO sociopath. It's giving me Dick Cheney puppet master. It's giving me Bentleys and paid off houses. <laughs> um, and I'm not seeing a problem with any of it. So, right. So that, right. It's two sides of the same coin. You can have like success with it, but you can go overboard. Right. And that's the shadow part. And that's, that's like the evil part of it. Whereas Scorpio, which I feel like everyone assumes, like if you had to ask people, like, what, what do you think is the sign associated with the devil and the tarot people would say, Scorpio. Well, they always say Scorpio cry babies, every last one of them. And I said it come for me. I don't care. <laughs> did you I've just dated Scorpios? Cry, I sure fucking did. Come you know for me. I think underneath it all, Scorpios are sad. They're like, it's sad. Energy. Yeah, dude. That's yeah. why they wear all that black eye makeup. I yeah. know what you're doing. It's just so it doesn't matter if your makeup runs because you're crying all the time. So Scorpio, thank you, Q. <laughs> Scorpio will burn everything to the fucking ground, but ultimately it does that with the intention of creating something better. Scorpio, Scorpio is about death and rebirth where Whereas Cap in its shadow, like absolutely doesn't want change. It wants this like stasis where it can continuously and forever maintain domination over everyone else. In the tarot- I'm just hearing security, that's fine. <laughs> and again, this is the shadow side of Cap, right? So like, you're not, you're not a fucking evil CEO. So this is not what you're dealing Depends with. But- on the day. In the tarot, the devil card shows the devil, obviously, holding on to people who are wrapped in chains. So that's what the cap shadow wants is that stasis, not the change that Scorpio wants. So Uranus and Neptune were conjunct in Capricorn. And on that day, were square to her ascendant. Uranus is a planet of major shakeups, shit that goes down out of fucking nowhere, particularly in terms of your relationships. Uranus also holds a space where we want to be free. So this transit is going to deliver a swift, potentially destructive blow out of nowhere, often around an issue where the person in question is rebelling against something in the relationship. Hmm. Neptune in hard angle, as we've talked about before, brings deception, confusion, and loss, especially loss of a relationship. So those definitely point to a death, but not necessarily to a murder, right? But what I want to add, the ascendant works with the ego. Your ego is tied into your ascendant because it's in the first house, which is where the ego lives in the Zodiac. When you have squares to the ascendant, whatever it is that's, that's squaring, in this case, Neptune and Uranus in the devil sign that is Capricorn, are going to be picking a fight with the person's ego. And, and this is actually what really fucking matters. 
that Uranus-Neptune conjunction and cap was also opposing her moon, which is crazy. So I'm sorry, but this is just allegedly the thing that caused her to allegedly murder Kurt Cobain. Because what happens when Uranus squares your motherfucking moon? Well, I'll tell you, it creates this out of control emotional situation wherein a person may make an impulsive spur of the moment decision because their emotions are raging. And that decision results in chaos, particularly in your intimate relationships, fucking boom in your face. I don't know. Ooh. I don't know who that was for. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I'm like, it's just me, <laughs> yeah. but okay. And then okay, Gemini rising. <laughs> and then Neptune square to the moon. What does that do? We'll fucking tell you what it does. It creates mood swings based around a person's paranoia or subconscious feelings coming to the surface. So allegedly I have proven an alleged murder using star facts. Well, she was really, she was actually pretty convinced he was cheating on her too. Okay. I mean, and I just want to go back to this thing about like not feeling like she was good enough in some way, which in her work, which was this also this um, opposition that we saw 12th and sixth house. It's really interesting because she, um, I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of whole. It just wasn't my, I, I'm not saying anything bad about it. There are lots of people that loved whole. It just yeah. wasn't my wasn't thing. shtick. It wasn't my yeah. thing. I don't, I, I think I can say pretty confidently that like her voice isn't particularly melodic. I think that's no. fair. Yeah. No, you know, and I don't think she would describe herself that way, but like she didn't become, um, a musician because like she loved music from what I can tell she wanted to be famous she wanted to be rich she wanted to be influential and she wanted to be powerful and she took stock of what was happening around her and went what's the best way to get there she was a stripper and she liked the power that she got from that she dabbled in acting but it just was like it just didn't feel like it was going to go fast enough for her although she did take the 20 grand she worked in a movie actually she played um she wanted to play nancy in the version of sid and nancy that came out in the 80s but she was cast oh. as her best friend she took the money from that got her nose done uh oh. so that she would be more attractive commercially and then she was like okay i'm gonna start a band like she looked at what was happening around her and she was like i can do this i can be successful and rich here that's what i want and i'm doing it at, you know and you look at someone like kurt cobain who you was creatively driven i mean this was like the thoughts were right. pouring out of him you know right. like the pain and the thoughts and the need to be expressive and creative was pouring out of him whereas for her it was like I am going to it was be, a means to an end it was a means to an end she didn't seem like which is why it was interesting like when you everybody who who when they they talked about her speaking about her work she talked about how great she was which was not something Kurt Cobain really did no the opposite right which is uh, in my experience people who talk about how great they are at something more like they're trying to convince you well you also know. that's the that's the crux of narcissists is that they have to build themselves up because beneath that they have nothing. It's, yeah, it's, it's like a really thin, crust. it's a shell. It's just, they're just a shell of a human. So they make, they make themselves the most important thing because underneath it, they believe that they're worthless. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's fascinating to think about because she had this, like, she's this very boisterous, very exact. She's almost like a caricature, at least like what she presents just this very confident, overly confident, mouthy, you know, like I'm the fucking shit, get the fuck out of my way. And I've no doubt that in terms of like, I, I, 
I mean, she would have been an amazing CEO. I would love to have seen her fucking reading the room, you know, at Google, but that wasn't what was available to her at that time. So she took what was available to her yeah. with it. She also you probably know? wouldn't have gotten famous at Google, which I think was like big on yeah. the list. Okay. Oh, yeah, probably not more incriminating shit from day of transit Mars. So the Mars where Mars was on that day that he died, just sat down right on top of her fucking Chiron. So again, Mars energy is all about acting out aggressively, violently as a result of your own unhealed wounds in this case, because Chiron, the wounded healer, Certainly it could incline a, and by the way, I have to say the wounded healer, the only way that Chiron becomes the wounded healer is if they heal the wound Mm -hmm. (laughs) within themselves. Mm -hmm. If if they don't, it just becomes the wounded, wounded, the wound, the wounded, wounded. the wounded, the walking wounded. Yeah. All of us. Well, some of us are like actually putting time and effort into healing it. But if you're not, then you're just like, uh, like the woundy, woundy wound. So. So Mars is just sitting on the woundy wound because that bitch was not going to therapy. And certainly it could incline a person, a person who had made the conscious decision not to go to therapy to act out from a wounded place. And of course, you know, Mars, in addition to that, is trying to get a piece of this shit. So Mars on the day that Kurt died was square to Courtney's Venus in Gemini. Mars is the planet of violent eruptions. Her Venus is in Gemini? Yes, girl. But you know what I've seen, like one of Sarah, one of my best friends has Venus and Gemini and it's lovely. She has, she's someone who has a lot of friends and like a lot of loved ones in her life. So it can look like that, but it can also look like, uh, you know, Gemini can be Gemini is the twin. So we're talking about being two faced. It can be that, you know, like that is the shadow of Gemini. Not everyone has that, but the shadow of Gemini certainly is being two faced and you know who else who has uh, Venus, Venus and Gemini? And Gemini? Who? Jude. Your son. Yes, I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. That's why we have to I love worry. him. With all that Leo. And <laughs> I worry. Make sure. We're not helping right now, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Like we're, we're not trying to raise a fuck boy over here. No. Mm-mm. Okay. So um Mars on the day that Kurt died was square to Courtney's Venus and Gemini. Mars is a planet of violent eruptions that come suddenly and then go suddenly. When Mars squares your natal Venus, it looks like anger that makes you lose control suddenly and make reckless decisions, especially in relationships. And especially when you feel rejected in those relationships and real quick for no reason. Like if your husband was considering divorcing you. (laughs) Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. Exactly. Um, let's just review. Mars represents the masculine. Venus represents. Hello. The feminine. Thank you. That was a quiz. Um, you <laughs> passed. Have passed. Mm-hmm. In other words, this is a showdown between the masculine and feminine entities in a relationship or said another way, because this is a hetero relationship, the man and the woman, because together Mars and Venus represent the lovers. But in this case, the lovers have turned against each other because we have a square Venus versus Mars, feminine versus Mm. masculine woman versus man. And you want to know where Mars was on that day? It was in Pisces. 
Oh, Kurt Sunstein. Sunstein. Which brings well, me- a bunch of his chart, but yeah, his sun sign. Yes, a bu- yes, much of his chart, including his Venus and his sun sign, which is his identity. And Sweet that angel. brings me full circle to something I started out talking about. Remember when I was talking about Kurt's Pisces and Scorpio stelliums giving prophetic psychic powers? Yes, ma'am. I took notes. Well, let's just take a quick minute to reflect on some of his lyrics. In Come As You Are, Kurt swears to us over and over again, no, I don't have a gun. And in all apologies, I would like to point out for no reason in particular that he does not say Mary buried as in a woman's name, Mary, which is how I'd been singing it for the last 25 years. But he, <laughs> yeah. Oops. Yeah. Because I was listening to Nirvana while I was doing all this research and I was like, let me look up the lyrics actually. And what I found that he fucking says is married, 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 buried, buried. So, um, yeah, that's, well, you know that that gun wasn't his, right? Right. So you would, yeah, you were kind of telling me that separately. Like he, um, so he, he didn't, he, he, he said he owned guns. So this is actually, you know, he's not here. So we don't fucking know. But in an interview that Courtney Love did after he died with Rolling Stone, she, you know, the, um, the interviewer asked her, you know, he said something along the lines of, I've interviewed Kurt before. He told me that he liked to go shooting, that it was a matter of protection. And, and she straight up said, he lied to you. He's never owned a gun. He doesn't know how to use them. Um, and I, I remember that incident they had where he locked himself in a room because he just didn't want to deal with his wife. And she called the police and said that he had been threatening suicide. Right. I guess they took a couple guns that they probably did have for protection. They were famous people. And, you know, people are crazy fucking stalkers. Um, so uh, his best friend, Dylan Carlson, purchased that gun and gave it to him. And uh, from what I understand, Kurt told him that he wanted it for protection. This is the story that has been told. There's a lot of, of suspicion out there that Dylan Carlson is more involved in this death than just being a person who was present. Dylan Carlson also acted, I believe, oh, no, no, that's someone else. Someone else was their nanny very weird story. We'll talk about it later, but, uh, yeah, it was Kurt's best friend. And there's, there's some back and forth that he might've been involved, even if he didn't realize it in the death, but yeah, he bought the gun for Kurt, gave it to him. But what I never understood about that is that it's a shotgun. It's a Mm -hmm. shotgun. Like, why are you using a shotgun for defense? No, you're not on a farm in Kentucky. Like, I don't get it. Like if I were reaching for a gun to defend myself against something really quick, I'd you know, I'd want something smaller, easier yeah. to handle. Yeah. We're not talking about like defending ourselves against like a swarm of turkeys or some shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we're, you know, absolutely not. This is a, this is a different deal entirely. And the other thing was that the gun was found with three and I'm, I'm going to say clips. I don't know. Bullets. What are the they, they call whatever the fuck I, not grow up in that culture. Don't know. But um, the allegation that he chose that gun, particularly for the suicide, it's very unusual to load a gun with more bullets than you would need to kill yourself. Apparently most of the time Mm. from what I, what I read, um, if you're going to kill yourself, if that's the plan, you don't need more than one bullet and people don't put more than one in there. What's the point? Uh, but this one was loaded with, I'm going to say three clips. I don't know what that, I don't know if that's right. Look, Uh, we don't know. We make sure and 
and we stick with it, baby. Things that would <laughs> That's be our story. unfortunate for your health if they entered your body at a high We're velocity. Stick into it. Okay. But the, the long and the short of it is he did not purchase that gun. He wasn't, I believe, I don't think he was supposed to have a gun at the time. That's why he didn't do it. And, and his best friend says that he bought it for him as a means of protection which doesn't make any sense to me why, why that gun would be chosen as a means of protection. Then when it was found on him in his hand after he had completed suicide, which is weird because most of the time a gun, especially a, like, I don't know if you saw it, it looks like a fucking shotgun. It's sizable. Something like that. The blast, I feel like it'd probably come out of your hand. I might be talking out my ass. Feel free to no, tell me. hundred fucking thousand percent. One time I, okay. We are, we are originally from Texas. We are if you go farther back in our lineage, we are ranchers. I went back to visit some like farm family like 10 years ago. They were shooting guns. I was like, I want to try shooting a gun. The the backfire was so, hurts. Oh my God. And it, yeah. it like bruised my shoulder. I was like, never again. This is so intense. Mm-hmm. It 100% would have fallen out of his hand. There's no way. It, it feels that way to me, uh, but I am not a ballistics expert. So I'm just going to put it out there with based on all of the true crime that I've watched and well, read. Well, I shot a gun one single time and I therefore well, am that's a how you know. Then, expert. <laughs> I mean, hey, yeah. So yeah, like I said, didn't didn't have a gun, didn't own the gun technically that was used to complete his death. Uh, it was in his hand and it had extra bullets in it, which isn't really, I mean, I suppose, I suppose it makes sense that you could have bought it with the purpose of using it for protection. Weird ass gun for that, but okay. And then been like, hey, you know what? It's convenient. And I feel like dying today. So I guess this is the one I'm using. But like I said, everyone who does this professionally has talked about the fact that that's weird. Yeah. It's just weird. Most people don't do it. So, well, and as someone who is not professional, I would also like to say that that's weird. It's <laughs> <laughs> just a lot of weirdness. And my opinion matters. Okay. Absolutely. I, I matter. My opinion matters. <laughs> my therapist and I are working on that. So, hey. You have a microphone and you're here. So your opinion matters. Thank you. Exactly. Um, Speaking of our opinion mattering, we are officially on Apple podcasts. Yay. Um, Right. I'm so excited about that. We're on Google podcasts now. Yay. It feels Um, like the first time I got a pager and I felt really important. (laughs) You are important. You, no, I totally am in every you respect, are. but you're I, like, they didn't have cell phones when we were kids. I got a pager when I was like 15 and I was like, yeah, I'm an yeah, adult. Yeah. So that I could, t- so I could page you with like boobs, eight Oh, Oh, eight, five. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good times. Um, yeah, but, but on, on that previous note, rate review, subscribe, it really helps us. And, um, if there are, if you have any comments or concerns, or if you would like to, um, point us in the direction of a murder or crime that you'd like us to cover, hit us up at sign of the crime podcast at gmail.com. And we will uh, be doing, uh, OJ, we're doing next OJ. Time. yeah, we're doing not, OJ next time. So not the orange buckle juice, up. baby, the fucking white ass nope. Bronco, the glove. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. That's OJ's the one. Next. And the one who uh, wrote a book called If I Did It. <laughs> did you read that shit? No. Man, yeah. the audacity. Yeah. God, fucking dudes. Just out there murdering everyone. Just out there being like, here's my confession. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Now pay me for it. Would you like to buy right. my confession? Right. And I yeah. did. 
let me I let absolutely me did make fucking millions off the fact that I just murdered my my wife oh he didn't because the the Goldman family was like nope we'll be taking that money thank you oh, so much great yeah like yeah they I I will look into that more but I'm fairly certain I remember that that being a thing where they were like yeah you're not actually allowed to make money off murdering our son so we're going to take that judgment against Good you for thank them. you very much yeah is he in jail didn't he go to jail he did he ended up going to jail hilariously um and i don't remember exactly what the charges were but someone was trying to sell some of his memorabilia in vegas and he went in there i believe with a weapon maybe a gun and did bad things and they used that opportunity to lock his ass up i think he was in jail for like 10 to 15 years for that shit because yeah he was like this is my shit i never gave it away no one should be selling it okay fine my dude but you can't roll in there with a weapon and try and hurt people that's still illegal they're like <laughs> also we're still pretty fucking bitter about the fact that you murdered your wife in cold blood. about the murder yeah <laughs> we're still a little upset about the murder so, so actually that's, but that's what gets me is like assuming he did do it which i feel like 95 percent of people sort of assume that he did like are you fucking seriously gonna you're doing this now like this is <laughs> you really thought that you could just get away with this now well, like again narcissists their brains don't work like a normal fucking person they're like i'm the smartest and best i can get away with egregious shit because i'm so fucking smart i'm smarter than everybody else you know my, my lizard brain is like no no <laughs> like i've gotten i've pushed it this far let's stay where it's safe and warm and dry on this rock you know well, my, like, my little libra moon is like I'm sad. Something sad is happening. <laughs> oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's not about not getting in trouble. It's about I don't want to be involved in anything sad because it makes me sad. That's that's all it is. Sad. Sad. Yeah, well, I'm going to go ahead and say he doesn't have a Libra moon, but I guess we'll find out for sure next time. God, I can't <laughs> wait to see his chart. Okay. Yeah, I bet his chart's going to be wild. It's going to be wild. All right, till next time, y'all. I love all you. Right. I love you, too.